when I watched that video this past week, it really messed with me there for a while. And uh, yeah, it made me uh, shed a few tears there and, and just thank the father who is, well, who is my dad, who adopted me into his family. Pretty amazing video. And this morning as we talk about the gifts of Christmas, we want to talk about this gift of adoption. We may not often think about adoption being associated with Christmas, but we're going to show you today how it is associated and, and the incredible uh, relationship that exists between Christmas and our adoption. There's a significant revelation, though, I, I thought about this week in the issue of adoption. And I'm always talking, right, about how when it comes to, adopt, when it comes to our salvation, right, Christ did all the work. We don't do anything, Christ did everything. And you know what? This adoption angle really illustrates that. Because think about adoption. Think about uh, when it comes to adoption, how the person doing the, the adopting does all the work. That child doesn't do a thing. He just sits in that orphanage and hopes someone will come along and adopt him or wherever he is. And the person doing the adopting does all the work, pays all the costs, signs all the papers, does all the legal work. And they just get adopted. And that is our salvation. So what I want to do this morning, start out here real quickly, is just give you three simple, three simple observations about adoption. And God just kind of spoke these into me. And this became the whole really thrust of this message as we're going to go back and look at these in detail. But um, uh, let, let me give you these, these three simple observations. First, adoption always involves a legal process. Anytime you adopt a child, there's a legal process. And it varies from country to country. And sometimes it's a very involved legal process. She said it took them longer than nine months to become parents, and that could very well be the case. I've known people that adopted out of China and it took a long time. There's a, a great legal process involved in that. Um, and I've come to appreciate the care that a lot of nations and countries put into these adoptions that make it difficult because you, I've come to realize in recent years how vulnerable these kids are to be adopted out, abused, trafficked, and so countries do kind of watch. People do watch who gets to adopt. Um, and then secondly, adoption is costly. When you think of the legal process and all the other factors involved, it's expensive to adopt. It can be very, very expensive to adopt. So there is a cost associated with adoption. Our family has a lot of adoptions in it. I got two nieces and two nephews that were adopted. Cindy's daughter, Trisha, uh, adopted uh, her, she actually does photography. She was here one time and shared some of her story, does photography work. She just started a new website called The Dream Village. And you go onto The Dream Village and you can purchase photography and it'll come framed and uh, then 40% of all the proceeds are going back to fund, help people fund adoptions because adoptions are expensive. And Cindy, and when they were in Alabama, started a, a ministry called Oath that helps families fund adoptions because they are so incredibly expensive and then adoption changes a life you think about adoption it just changes a life it really does and that that child that gets adopted it's it's an amazing impact on their life i've even read stories of adults who as an adult wanted to be adopted somebody adopt me so i can say i have a mom and dad and when they were adopted they spoke of how it so changed their life there's a show on tv and i can't remember the name of it trisha would remember it probably but what where people go out and find their biological parents that they never knew and and many times it's a very moving experience and they go and find these parents and say would you like to meet your biological child that you gave up for adoption you know 30 years ago and um and they get to meet them and it's a it's a painful time many times because they they didn't want to give their child up, but it was kind of a necessity thing. 
And yet at the same time, they are so thrilled that the child benefited from their choice and from the adoption. At the same time, the parents who adopted the child got the benefit of raising this child and then the child that's adopted got the benefit of a stable home and someone who chose them specifically. That's one of the underlying currents of adoption when you think about it. The person who's adopted, I mean, you weren't just randomly born into their family, you know, they were chosen specifically (laughs) to be a part of that family. That's a pretty amazing thing. So, in the end, adoption changes a life. So we're going to look at these three observations a little more closely going forward. The Bible deals with this idea that we have been adopted by the Father in several places in the Bible. So hopefully today this message will warm your heart, encourage your soul, and help you understand your heavenly adoption a little better. Let me give you our big idea and then we'll go forward. Here it is. God sent His Son at just the right time, Christmas time, to prepare for our adoption. And that is what he is doing. And we look at the birth of Jesus and how he is born in such a strange way as this woman in the video said. And yet uh, we are born into God's family in likewise a kind of a strange way as we are adopted into his family. And we again may not think about Christmas being related to our adoption. But the Bible makes it clear that we should. So unwrapping God's gift of adoption, three important aspects of our adoption. And we were going to start it was some scripture in the book of Galatians chapter 4. And here's what Paul says, one of a, a few passages he talks about adoption in. Uh, Galatians 4, I mean that the heir, the, the heir, excuse me, as long as he is a child is no different from a slave, though he is under owner, is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by, the, by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now let me just stop there a minute and give a little context. What he's doing is going back to chapter 3 and he's talking about the contrast of being under grace and under law. We used to be under law. We were enslaved to the law. Now we are under grace. So he kind of compares two children. There is the children or the two people, the child, the child who has a father and is an heir of all that is the father's but he's still a child and the slave and he said there's really no difference between the slave and the child when the child is young because he is not yet fully realizing the estate that will one day be his and he's under the rule of the father but there is a change that eventually comes when he grows up and there's a transition from law to grace he goes on here and says this and he starts to work his way into this issue of adoption But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, calling Daddy, Daddy. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. What a beautiful beautiful passage now here's the thing you know as as a child would grow up and and he would receive his father's inheritance and he would become the oldest father oldest son always become the family kind of patriarch and lead the family and he would inherit the father's wealth and the father's really position as leading the family well what if that father didn't have a son Well, then he would adopt somebody. And sometimes he would adopt another relative. And sometimes, catch this, he would even adopt maybe one of the family slaves. 
And one of the slaves in the family would actually be adopted and become his rightful heir. And he would assume all his wealth and his position as the family patriarch. <clears throat> well, the reality is we have been adopted by the Father. And so, now, for the Romans, back in their culture, in their context, they had these specific coming-of-age ceremonies, a little different than what the, the Jews might have gone through. Um, and they really, they adopted when, or, or his son would become a man, either way, when his son grew up and became the, 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 came identified as a man, or when he would adopt someone. It's when he thought they were ready. If you notice in the context here, he says, uh, what's the word, until the date set by his father. He is speaking of this Roman context where the dad would look and say, hey, my son is ready to be a man, and um, he is ready to kind of take over. And, uh, and be identified as the heir to all that I have. Uh, a, beautiful, a beautiful kind of story unfolding here. Now here's the context this morning. It's in verse 4 though, if you'll look here. When the fullness of time had come, or the New Living Translation says, when the right time came, God sent forth his son born of a woman. And this is a reference to Christmas. That the right time was Christmas. The right time for God to start his redemptive plan and to bring Jesus into the world. And it was all about our adoption. When Christ came at Christmas, it was all about getting ready to adopt us. At the same time, in, uh, it says here, God sent forth his son born of a woman. And that is a direct reference to the virgin birth. He mentions Mary. He doesn't mention the man. doesn't mention Joseph. Because he was born, Jesus was born of a virgin and the emphasis is on Mary. For that reason and that reason alone, Mary is not any more special than anyone else other than she was a virgin who gave birth to the Christ child. Now, here's the thing. First thing, we, we want to see three observations today and kind of break them down. So here's the first one, and it's simply this. We need to understand the legal process in our adoption. We need to understand in our adoption, there is indeed a legal process. <clears throat> Look in verse 5 again. What does verse 5 say? To redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And there's that word redeem. Here's what you need to know about the legal process is that our redemption precedes our adoption. Our redemption precedes our adoption. That's part of the legal process that unfolds. God redeems us. What does it mean to be redeemed? It means to be bought out as a slave, bought out of a slave court. We are enslaved and we are set free. What are we enslaved to? We're enslaved to sin. We're enslaved to self. And more specifically in this passage, we're enslaved to the law. And so we are set free here in this context. In fact, the law is brought on actually by our sin. So Jesus paid the price to redeem us. Now, here's the thing, the gospel which defines our salvation. It is a process that happens simultaneously. It happens immediately. It happens kind of all at once. And there's all these things that take place when we're saved. And it starts with our redemption. Redemption then is when our freedom is purchased. We are purchased and we are no longer owned and enslaved by our sin. We're no longer owned by Satan. He no longer has authority over us, but now we are owned by the Father. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you, have, whom you have from God? You are not your own. 
For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You've been bought with a price. You've been redeemed by the Father. You've been set free, and we need to know that. Just think of Adam and Eve in the garden when they sinned, and they condemned the entire world along with themselves to a life sentence of sin and death and enslavement. And along comes Christ, and he sets us free. And it's the sin that brings about the law. There's an interesting thing. I've never really gotten into it before, but I always talk about the tree of life in the Garden of Eden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And one way to understand the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that is the law. That really is the law. And what God was saying back in the Garden of Eden was, you know what? Stay away from the law. You don't want to live a life under the law. It will enslave you. You want to live in relationship to me. And, uh, and I've never really gotten too far into that. Someday we will look at that more, that, that comparison. The, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is actually the law. That's no way to live your life. And Christ came and redeemed us and set us free from our sin and ourself and the law and from Satan. Forty days after Jesus was born, he is taken to the temple for the ceremonial cleansing. We looked at it two weeks ago. This is when Simeon came in and said he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and he speaks words of prophecy over Jesus. Well, someone else enters right after Simeon, saint named Anna. She's a prophetess. Anna, the daughter of Phineuel, the tribe of Asher. And she comes in. And, and look down at verse 38. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Really fascinating. So, so catch the Simeon, the prophet comes in and he says, I'm waiting for the consolation of Israel. Right behind him comes Anna, the prophetess. She comes in and says, I'm here for all those who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. And how do those match up? Well, the consolation or hope of Israel was what? their redemption, that they would be set free from the law, that they would be set free from sin and from self and from Satan. And that is the beauty of it all. And of course, you can look in the Old Testament and see the exact language used that God adopted Israel as well as, as, his, as his children. He adopted them. They were a different body than the body of Christ, but he adopted them indeed. Great great possible look at ephesians chapter one another great passage here and listen to this again blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in christ with every spiritual blessing there's think of all the spiritual blessings we have in christ in every with he blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Notice in this passage, it speaks of our redemption, speaks of our adoption. Our redemption is the legal process that precedes our adoption but there they are once again together now there's more that goes on and i put a uh this is on your handout but think about the work of our salvation here's a lot of the stuff that goes on there is redemption 
that's when we're set free. There's propitiation, that's atonement. That's when God's wrath and his anger, and mainly it's sin, is when it's satisfied by what Christ did on the cross. There's justification. It's just as if I have never sinned. I mean, I'm forgiven and, and made clean, and it's a, what a wild thing. Reconciliation is the peace that I now have with God, the harmony that me and God have. We're no longer enemies of one another. Uh, regeneration is when... Um, when we're really, we're resurrected to new life and we're made alive in Christ and he comes to live within us and our spirit is quickened from within. Restoration is when he restores me and, and I'm just like I was back in the Garden of Eden, back the way he originally made me. I'm just restored. I'm brand new again. And then there's election and people often get confused on election. Election is not a personal thing. God didn't elect some people to be his children and not others. He didn't elect some to be saved. He didn't go into the orphanage and say, well, I will choose these kids here and these kids here, but I'm not going to choose these. No, he went into the orphanage and said, I want them all. I choose them all. And uh, so election really is, is more about the body. In the Old Testament and in the Gospels, the Jews were God's elect nation Today, we are God's elect church with the body of Christ. Anybody that's saved is part of God's elect church. You are the elect. God, it doesn't mean God chose you and didn't choose somebody else. It just means you're elected. And then finally, predestination. And the Bible talks of predestination. And when you are saved and when you are a part of God's elect church, then God predestines some things to happen. In fact, I can think of at least three things. He predestines us to be conformed to his image. He predestines us to be adopted into his family and he predestines us to be glorified in his presence. And we read some of that already this morning in some of what we looked at. That means God predetermined that our destination when we accepted Christ as our Savior, we were destined to be a part of his family. We were destined to be conformed to his image. We were destined to be glorified. One day glorified in his presence. We'll go to heaven, be raptured away. We will be glorified and we will be as he is. That's good stuff. That is really good stuff here's the thing we can take comfort in knowing there's a legal process in our adoption we can take comfort in that look at chapter 9 john 9 12 but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become the children of god there is a legal right we have to be god's child to be a part of god's family there's a legal right that nothing and no one can revoke and we can't revoke and when God adopts us into his family and signs those adoption papers, we are his forever. And we can never be taken away from his family, never lose that relationship. We have the legal right to be God's children. One last verse that kind of ties in here. Back in Ephesians, remember we just read Ephesians. It talked about all our spiritual blessings, which would include our adoption. But it talked about redemption and adoption. He goes on in Ephesians 1 and says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so here's the deal. There's these legal papers, right? And they're signed, and they're signed with the blood of Christ, and then the Holy Spirit comes along and puts his seal on those. It's an unrevocable seal. It's a guarantee that you are God's child, that you are part of God's family, and nothing can ever take that away from you again. And how awesome, how awesome 
is that. It's signed by Christ, the blood of Christ, it's sealed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Christian life, <clears throat> uh, this is from Todd Miles. He's a professor of theology at Western Seminary. He writes this, the Christian life cannot be understood without understanding adoption. J.I. Pactor in his monumental book, Knowing God, said it best when he taught that adoption is the highest privilege the gospel offers, higher even than justification. It is one thing for God the Father to forgive sinners. It is an entirely another to adopt them into his family. Yet that is what the Bible teaches. We are not merely forgiven. We are graciously invited into God's family as his children, co-heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. So, first, first aspect we need to know is we need to understand the legal process involved in our adoption. And then, here's the second one. We need to consider the enormous cost of our adoption. There is an enormous cost to being adopted Anytime there's an adoption, it costs something, and it can be quite expensive. And still there are those today that are undeterred by that cost and do whatever they can to come up with the funds to adopt. Think about what our adoption cost Christ. Think of what it cost the Father. Well, our adoption costs Jesus his glory. That's one thing. Our adoption costs Jesus his glory. In, in Luke 17, it's the chapter right before Jesus is arrested and taken away and the, and the crucifixion narrative unfolds. Right before that, Jesus has just spent 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, those chapters with the disciples in the upper room preaching to them and he's preparing them for what's going to come. And he prays for them in chapter 17 and listen to what he says. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. And down in verse 4, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, I glorify, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. When Jesus came to earth as a baby, he left the glory of heaven. He, it cost him that glory. He surrendered it for a period of time. In fact, really, it's kind of like a two-sided issue. He left the glory of heaven and came to the wilderness of earth. He left the place without sin and came to the place that is consumed in sin. He left the place of glorious light for a world of darkness. That's what he did. He left the glorious for the unglorious to come down and redeem us and adopt us. To start that process, he... It cost him his glory. You know, we have two pictures of Jesus leaving the glory of heaven, coming to earth. We have two pictures of that in the scripture, actually. How about uh, the story of Adam and Eve leaving the garden for the wilderness? They're in paradise. They're in the glorious, right? And then they sin, and it's not really their choice, but God has to force them out of the garden, and they go into the wilderness of this world where they spend the rest of their life and the hardship and the toil and the sweat and the labor of this world here's the thing in order to rescue us from our sin to redeem us from our slavery and to open the doors to our adoption jesus the sinless one is the second adam who left what the glorious for the unglorious who left the glory of heaven to come to the wilderness of earth just as adam the first adam left the garden into the wilderness jesus left the glory of heaven and chased after adam chased after you and me into the wilderness of earth you know the other example we talked about this a few weeks back. We looked at the life of Moses. And there's the story of Moses leaving the palace in Egypt for the wilderness. Hebrews 11 tells us the story, but by faith Moses, when he was grown up, 
refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Just think of Moses. He's in the glorious palace. He's living in the glory of, of, of the palace with Pharaoh and all that that entails. And he willingly chooses to leave that. And what does he do? He ends up spending the next 80 years of his life where? Out in the hardship and the wilderness of this world leading the Israelites out of bondage, leading the Israelites out of slavery. That's why he's a type of Christ. He left the glory for the wilderness to deliver God's people. That's exactly what Jesus Christ has come to do as well. What an amazing, what an amazing picture. It cost Jesus his glory. It, it cost uh, <clears throat> Jesus, the second thing it cost him was it cost him his uh, rights. We think about this enormous cost. It cost him his rights. How about Philippians chapter 2? We use this a lot. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Think about Jesus there. Think about what he gave up. He emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. As the son of God in heaven, as the king of kings, Jesus had a lot of rights and he surrendered them when he became the servant king. Went from being the king of kings to the servant king to the humble baby king and surrendered his rights. He surrendered his right to be clothed in glory. He surrendered his right to be worshipped. He surrendered and gave up all the, all the omni rights. You know what I mean? Like being omnipotent, being omnipresent, being omniscient. All the power and all the knowledge Being everywhere he wanted to be, whenever he wanted to be there, he surrendered all of those rights. It cost Jesus his rights when he came to earth, and then it cost Jesus his life. It cost him his various life, and we just read it in Philippians. He became obedient to the point of death, and the eternal one surrendered his life and died on the cross so that we could be redeemed and then adopted. I love 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. It costs something for Jesus to come and redeem us and open the door for our adoption. It cost, certainly costs something. But here's the thing. Adoption is costly and it costs Jesus quite a bit, Right? But there is a value on the other end of that. There is a value that you and I received when he adopted us, when he came down and redeemed us. There is a value in our life that we can't lose sight of and that was certainly on the mind and the heart of Christ. The tremendous value that we gain. Found a great piece of commentary from back in Paul's day. Uh, I'm not sure where this comes from. The change of social status. In Roman law, the one being adopted was removed from his previous family state and placed in a brand new relationship as a son to his new father and thus new family. If the son had any debts from his previous family, those debts were canceled and a brand new life with a clean slate was part of the benefits of being adopted. 
This adopted son was now under the control of his new father and responsible only to him. It was normal for this newly adopted son not only to be formally to formally be recognized as a new son in the family, but also to become a rightful heir to his father's estate, just as if he were a blood relative. God loves those he adopts as his own. Although a human father oftentimes would adopt someone with from a similar social status of his own, God the Father adopts believers in order to move them into a new status that could, they could never attain on their own. As adopted sons and daughters of God, we now are lifted up to a new family status and made co-heirs with Christ. There's this incredible value in our being adopted. It really is. And while it costs Jesus a lot, the value to you and me was worth it to him. And the social status, we kind of get an upgrade in our status. So, three aspects that we need to consider here. Number one, we need to understand the legal process in our adoption. Number two, we need to understand the enormous cost of our adoption. But here's the third one. We need to appreciate how adoption radically changes a life. How adoption radically changes a life. I don't know if we often stop and think about how our adoption into God's family, how that radically changes our life and the impact it has on us. It's an amazing thing. It really is. 1 John chapter 3. Let me show you a couple of verses here. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called. Think about it. We should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Through our adoption, first of all, we gain the love of a father. We think about how adoption changes us. Through our adoption, we get the love of a father. It's incredible. Now, I'm not saying that you didn't necessarily have a good father. You may have had a great father. And then again, maybe you didn't. A lot of people don't have good fathers, haven't had. Some people's fathers have been a real disaster. It's been really, but just know we have a heavenly father. That's a good thing. This past week, George Bush Jr. talking about how his dad was the best dad. And all I would say to George Bush Jr. is, well, yeah, you haven't met my dad. I got the best dad, right? And yet even then, we can all think we have the best dad, but there is no dad that can compare to the heavenly father. Sorry, dad. There is no father like the heavenly father. There is. Our heavenly father loves us perfectly, knows us intimately, chose us specifically. He asked to adopt us because he wants to be our father. So if your earthly father failed you, if he was a disaster, just know you've got a heavenly father that will set things right. If you have an earthly father that passed away, just remember this, you got an eternal father that will never pass away. We're all human, we're all futile, we all have our, our days where we're going to pass away, but God the Father never our adoption then, we gain the love of a father. And how does it impact us? Well, this impacts our social status. Maybe social is not the best word, but I kind of think it works. Social status. When God becomes my father, it impacts my social status. Think about even in Paul's day, if one of those being adopted was the family slave. Think about the upgrade to their social status from being the slave to being the family patriarch. 
But think about it. When we're adopted by the Father, we take on the name of our Father. His identity becomes our. Everything that He is, we are. Verse 2 again. Um, <clears throat> beloved, <clears throat> we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Basically, that's saying that, you know what? We have this potential and one day we're going to be something really amazing and we're still on earth. <clears throat> we're still in our fleshly body. And, but one day he's going to rapture us to heaven and when we see him as he is, we will be like him because why? We have been predestined, what? To be glorified in his presence. That's our predestination. <clears throat> predestined to be adopted into his family, but one day to be glorified in his presence. And there is the social status upgrade that comes along. Think about, again, this verse we read earlier. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through, by his poverty you might become rich. When you're adopted into God's family and you have the love of a father, talk about a social status upgrade. You become a heir of everything that he is. <clears throat> All that he owns is now yours. We have a spiritual inheritance nothing in this world can compete with. <clears throat> Think about the story of the prodigal son. Remember the story of the prodigal son? There's two brothers and the younger brother runs off to a, another country and blows his share of his inheritance from the father. Blows it all, comes back home and what does dad do? Dad greets him and throws a big party for this younger brother, younger son, younger brother. And the older brother, how does he respond? Well, he doesn't like this. He's kind of upset about this. And here is what... Here is what he says when he has a little bit of a conversation with his dad. Here is what he says. He's objecting to how his dad is throwing this party for the wayward son. Yet when this son of yours comes back, notice it's not his brother. He doesn't say when my brother. Notice when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look dear son, you have always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. Now, it doesn't explicitly say this, but I think there's something underlying here that something that bothered the older brother that we've maybe never really considered. But I wonder if, if this isn't kind of going through this older brother's mind. Um, okay, the younger brother went off. He squandered all that money, all your money. It wasn't his inheritance. He squandered all your money. And now you come back and you're throwing a party for him. And the older brother's probably thinking, okay, who's paying for this party? Who's, who's paying for the party? And how going forward will the fact that he came back after squandering half of your money, how will that affect my inheritance? I bet you that's going through his mind. I bet you it certainly is going through his mind. That'd be normal to go through his mind. Now, what's the problem with that thinking for this older brother? Here's the problem. In the story of the prodigal son, who does, who does the father represent? Who does the father represent in the story of the prodigal son? Represents God. God has what? Everything. God has no lack in God's resources. There's no, whatever this younger brother blew will not affect the father's estate. That's the reality, our spiritual inheritance in Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. Talk about a social upgrade. Think about the value that we get from being what? having God as our father, having the love of a father and how that impacts us. 
who has infinite wealth and has spiritual blessings. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. There is nothing on earth that can compare with that. There's nothing on earth. We're going to be someday, we're going to go to heaven, we are going to be blown away by our inheritance in Christ. The point is adoption changes us because we have a father who loves us and it changes our social status and it also changes our relational status and what I mean by that is real simple. When we are adopted into God's family, look at, listen to this, you know what happens? God goes from being my judge to being my what? To being my father. When the prodigal son comes home, how does the father treat the son? Does he imprison him? Does he enslave him? Does he make him pay something? He treats him as a son. That's simply the way he treats the prodigal when he comes home. He treats him. He loves him. He didn't disown him, imprison him, or enslave him. He loved him. Now, truth is, this isn't in the Bible. Could very well happen. After the party, the father might have what? He might have disciplined him. Because that's what a father does to his son. We didn't need that part in the story, but I'll bet you it might have happened. He might have took him and said, okay, I need to discipline you, and we need to learn how to handle money. In an article entitled How Biblical Application Really Works, David E. Prince shares this powerful story. I know a family who adopted an older child from an unspeakably horrific orphanage in another country. When they brought her home, one of the things they told her was that she was expected to clean her room every day. When she heard about that responsibility, she fixated on it and saw it as a way she would earn her family's love. In other words, she isolated the responsibility and applied it to her existing frame of thinking that was shaped by life in the orphanage. Thus, every morning when her parents came into her room, it was immaculate, and she would sit on the bed and would say, my room is clean, can I stay? Do you still love me? Her words broke her new parents' hearts. Eventually, the girl learned to hear her parents' words as their unconditionally beloved child who would never be forsaken, not as a visitor trying to earn her place in the family. After she knew that she was an inseparable part of the family story, even correction and discipline did not cause her to question her family's love for her. She understood correction and discipline to be a part of what it meant to be in the family. One of the ways adoption changes our life is the love we gain from our Heavenly Father impacts us socially uh, and impacts us relationally. It's an amazing way that it impacts us and the other last thing here is that through our adoption we gain the support of a family how does adoption change us because we get the support of a family we do look back at john chapter 3 again and i will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters oh that's that's not the right first john 3 1 see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of god plural we are the children of god we are a part of his family we have a relationship with god as the father but here's what i want you to see in the scripture who calls us his children god does i will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me says the lord almighty God calls us his children. Look at this. Hebrews 11:2. Jesus calls us God's children. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brothers. We're brothers with Jesus. Talk about a relational change. Talk about how our adoption changes our life. And then the Holy Spirit gets in on it. Romans 8, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with 
Christ. We are the children of God, the brothers and sisters in Jesus, and yes, we are a family. And look around the room and consider this. If we have put our faith and trust in Christ, if we have been saved, we have been regenerated, restored, reconciled to the Father, all that's taken place, and we have all been adopted, and we are all a part of the same family. And this even goes across what's in this room to the broader context of the grander church all over the world, across denominational divides, across ethnical divides, across all the local church divides. We're all one. We're all part of God's family. But God puts us in local churches like this. And we need each other to come along and support us and to be there for us at times. And, you know, we're a small church. We're going to grow. God put us here to grow. I know we're going to grow. We'll be looking at things in the new year. How can we grow and what do we need to do in this building? But the reality is we are a family. That's the benefit of how adoption changes us. We get the love of a father and we get the support of a family. We need to let each other support um, us. We need to support one another. We need to do that. There's an, old, there's an old song. It goes back to like the 90s or something. Um, Brother, let me be your servant. Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I might have the grace to let you be my servant too. And that's a simple little song, seven or eight verses. But the fact is, sometimes it is harder to let people serve us. And it's easier to serve others. And it's, it takes grace to sometimes say, you can serve me. I'm a part of this family. I need you to serve me. I need you to speak into my life. I need you to build me up. We're there to, 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 to reach out and be Christ to others, but sometimes I need to let you be Christ to me, and sometimes that's a personality thing. Maybe I relate to that because maybe in my personality, I'm more that way. Anyway, good stuff. Through our adoption, we gain the support of a family. We need each other. So we need to understand the legal process in our adoption. We need to consider the enormous cost of our adoption. And we need to appreciate how adoption radically changes a life, how it radically changed our life. And let me give you a few just uh, challenges today as we wrap up here. Externally, you can respond today. Visit the, the, the website, The Dream Village, and there's a way you can support adoption. Maybe you'll see a Christmas gift on there and you'll think, hey, I can buy this for somebody and I can help support adoption. There are other options like that. How can we get out and look at the value of adoption and say it is so important, it changes a life. God wants us to care about the motherless and the fatherless. God wants us to care about those that live in the orphanage. That's right throughout scripture. We didn't even get to go there today, but in a practical response, think of how your adoption impacts your life and think about how adoption just impacts an everyday life and and look for ways to support adoption. Externally, again, if you know someone, maybe at work or a neighbor, someone, and, and, and they're outside of our church, but you just know them, and you know they're a Christian, recognize and see them as a brother or sister in Christ, and then reach out to them. And then internally, look around the room yet again. Find someone you don't know that well and reach out to them. Value them as a brother and sister in Christ. If there's someone you see them here and you think, I don't know them that well. I'm not, you know, I'm going to get to know them a little better. I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and, 
and, and build a, a stronger relationship. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And then finally, personally, take stock of the fact that the Father has adopted you. How has this adoption changed your life for the better? How has it impacted your social and relational status with the Father? How has it impacted you? Consider that stuff. Thank God for the impact, the fact that He has adopted you into His family has made on your life. Let's pray. God, thank you for this message today. Uh, what, what a heartwarming message just to, to think about this week as I was studying and, and just the reality that you have adopted us. Every one of us, you looked at each one of us and we can look in the mirror at ourselves and think, well, boy, I don't think God would choose me. We can all look in the mirror and see things in our life that we think, man, I just don't deserve. Yeah, that's what grace is, that undeserved kindness we talked about last week. And you redeem us, you redeem us out of sin and out of uh, self and out of the law and out of the grasp of Satan. You redeem us, you set us free. And then you say, okay, I want you to come be a part of my family. God, help us understand what the older brother didn't understand, that you, as, as, as the father, you have unlimited resources and everything that you have is ours. Amen, amen, amen. Lord, Bless uh, the rest of this day. Send us home in your grace. Encourage us this week. Help us to just, uh, just really relate with you this Christmas season each and every day as it goes forward. Draw near to us as we draw near to you. In Jesus' name, amen.